Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome everyone. Many Aussies in their 50s and 60s, they start to consider their options when it comes to retiring from their careers and their paid workforce. For some, it's out of the question and not necessarily because they can't afford it because they have no idea what they will do with their time. It is a real dilemma. If you are right now nodding and acknowledging, this is me they're referring to. We'll put your concerns aside because today's guest, Rachel McLennan, CEO and co-founder of People for Purpose, is going to share a wealth of information on the never-ending possibilities you can explore. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here. It's really fun to have you in the studio today because, you know, believe it or not, I, well, you can believe this, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for the last 21 years and the amount of pharmacists that I know that didn't want to sell their businesses because they had no idea what they were going to do with their time, you know, I could count them on two hands in just my territory and that's a lot of people, 10 people in a territory that have no idea. They're over 60 and they don't know what to do. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the hardest things for people is, you know, where to begin and what do I want to do? And uh, we help them uncover some of that. Well, we said that you were the co-founder. Who is the other co-founder with you? Uh, Melissa McPherson. I describe her as my work wife and she and I started People for Purpose uh, 10 years ago. We turned 10 this year. Wow. So what actually made you go down this route of people for purpose? Um, Lots of businesses start because, you know, someone identifies a need. Um, Melissa and I are what I affectionately refer to as corporate refugees. So we had started work in the commercial world, taken the steps up the ladder, but um, both came to a point in our lives where we made a conscious decision to want to work for something meaningful, for something that was underpinned by purpose and not profit. Um, We didn't know each other at the time, but I had started my four-purpose journey in the UK um, back in the year 2000, and it had a lot to do with my mum and her story and her upbringing, and um, maybe we can cover some of that later. But I was working at the time for a business called Social Ventures Australia, helping to incubate sort of small to medium startup charities, and we had a company off-site and you had to walk around the room. They brought all the states and territories together. Mm-hmm. Walk around the room, find someone you don't know, ask them three questions, answer three questions, and then you'll know someone new in the business. And when I walked around, I stopped at Melissa, and the three questions or her answers were so they so resonated with me. I wondered how we weren't friends inside the business. But as it turned out, she hadn't started. Uh-huh. Uh, she was just at the event to join. Anyway. Um, She was working inside the business or coming to join to look at the philanthropic landscape in Australia, Mm -hmm. and so was I, but from quite different perspectives. We spent a number of years working at SVA together, and I went on to do another job. But one of the things that I have have observed, 
and I observe this from having worked in the commercial space, having worked in the for-purpose or non-profit space, I've been a CEO and a non-executive director, was that lots of people wanted to drink coffee with people who had gone before me to understand how we had done it. Mm. And especially um, two kind of mentors of mine who were quite well-known for their moves out of big-end finance who moved into non-profit land and doing things great for the world, there was a very long queue on drinking coffee with these people to understand how they did it. Mm. So we thought purpose was the new black. Melissa and I said to each other, it feels like on the right side of us we've got so many people who are so talented with so many great superpowers and on the other side so many great organisations trying to deliver social and environmental impact but they're not connecting so how can we connect them and so People for Purpose was born. Was it just a moment when you knew that this was the right path for you? Uh, yes and no. So at that time, I um, was about to go on a trip with my family um, to celebrate my husband's 40th birthday, and we were going back to see our friends in the UK for a while. And so I thought, I'm going to take this time to really work out if this could be it. And so I went and talked to a, f- a bunch of old mentors in the UK, uh, and they all said, yeah, do it. I didn't know anything. Effectively, what we do is search, executive search, So we work, we're really mandated by Australian charities to help them find board members and senior people. And I didn't know anything about the space, but I knew that I could connect people and I knew that I could listen to stories. So there wasn't really a moment, but um, there were lots of people around me who encouraged me to do it. And so we just did. And it's funny too, because I was going to return to Australia from that trip and launch the business sort of in October. But at the leaving party from my previous employer, Somebody came up to me and said, what are you going to do next? And I was describing, we're going to help charities find great leaders. He said, I'm on the board of a charity that needs someone. Can you help? Is that the kind of thing you're going to do? And I said, yeah. And so actually we had a, it was the universe telling me that it was the right place because we had a job to do even before we'd started. Yeah. And it's wonderful to connect with someone like your business partner, Melissa, who has a similar way of thinking about things or, or a similar passion uh, to you. She did. Actually, there's a couple of things that I think that make Mel and I, our relationship, very special and unique. The first thing is, although we're quite similar, we're very, very different. In, in establishing people for purpose to help strengthen the sector, for ourselves, we wanted three things. We wanted to leave the world a better place. Mm-hmm. We wanted to contribute to family. We wanted to be there for our kids and our husbands, um, and we also wanted to contribute to household income. So that kind of defined that we didn't need to go and, you know, do a tech startup that was going to raise millions of dollars. If mm. we could do those three things, then we would be winning, and that's what we've done. And when you started the business, besides the two of you, did you have other people to mentor you? A hundred percent, absolutely, we did. And some of them knew they were mentors, and some of them didn't. <laughs> but yeah, we did. We had great mentors. And people who pushed back too, people who told us we had rocks in our head and part of it was proving them that, proving it wrong. I have a little saying about that. I can, I will watch me. That's what we did, Karen. Yeah, it, it is because you're always going to get the naysayers, aren't you? Yeah, and there's a healthy role for them to play. Yeah, there is, definitely. And uh, it's not about proving them wrong, but, you know, in your own mind, I guess it's ignoring that little inner critic that's in the back going, well, they, they could be right, you yeah. know. Am I doing the wrong thing? Absolutely. Is this going to be a cost to my family? Is it going to be a cost to our financial well-being? Is it going to be a cost to my life? 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm not naturally a very competitive person, but I had to really dig into my competitive spirit in those early days. Well, congratulations, because from what I have already learned just in the last month or so, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Look, like I said, you know, we're winning on the three fronts we wanted to win, but the feedback from the market is that we're doing a pretty good job. So that's good. That's really awesome. You chose a song today, Good Riddance. Tell us about this song. Well, actually, the song is called Good Riddance, but in brackets you'll see the song is called Time of Your Life or Time of My Life. And the song was played to me at an incredibly critical moment. Um, like I said, I, I sort of did what I, I thought I was supposed to do and I finished school and I got a tertiary education and, a, and, and what I thought was a good job. But then I met a boy and he was... Um, he was packing up his life in Australia to kind of travel the world and he didn't necessarily ask me to go with him. He just said to me, you really should see the world. You know, life is short and it's precious and there is a whole world out there and you should go and, and see it. And it was interesting because I could sort of see my life ahead of me from where I was at that point and I absolutely about-faced and I went and travelled the world and I quit my brilliant job and I left my partner at the time who I'd been with for years and a friend, a really good friend of mine had sent me that song. I'd never heard it before but basically it says there's a fork in the road and you have to make a choice and I chose what didn't feel natural uh, and it was the best choice ever. Yes, and I think that's a lesson on its own, what you've just said because too many of us sometimes... And especially when you're younger, we think, well, no, we have to stay, we have to do this, we have to establish. But life's over in a blink. If you don't sometimes step out of your comfort zone or take another path, you miss so many brilliant opportunities. Absolutely. And, you know, I've got children who are kind of heading towards the end of high school and I keep saying to them, and this is from observing lots of people in my universe who are at the other ends of their careers, you know, I say to my kids, don't think about what you want to do. Think about where you want to start. Because I see that life is a journey of starting and stopping, you know. Just because you're on a particular path doesn't mean you have to stay on it. And I think we know in our guts if it's the wrong path. But, you know, it's actually just making the jump or trying something different that can be the hard part. Mm. Once it's done, you go, why didn't I do that sooner? And this is, I'm actually getting so much out of this experience. I'm getting way more than I'm giving. And it feels really good. I hope there's some parents or grandparents that are hearing exactly what you said, where do you want to start? Because that is a real gem. Well, the other gem I would like to share, and again, these are not necessarily my gems, but they're things that I get to observe with the people that I work with, is, you know, the portfolio career has become a real buzzword, but it's real. A lot of people, especially post-COVID, are saying, I don't want to just do one thing. I can do many things and satisfy lots of things in my life. And it's funny listening to my children talk about what they want to do. They've naturally, they naturally describe a portfolio career. Mm. You know, well, I'd like to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and maybe this. Um, and I think it's taken so many of us too long to work that out that you can do that. Well, today's song, Good Riddance, The Time of Your Life. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to a song... 
You are listening to a song by Green Day, Good Riddance, The Time of Your Life. And my guest in the studio today is Rachel McLennan. She is the co-founder and the CEO of People for Purpose. So, Rachel, how do people find their purpose? And I don't, it's not necessarily their purpose in life, but their purpose in maybe perhaps working and giving time to a not-for-profit. Sure. Look, a lot of people come to us, um, Karen, looking to find meaning. They're trying to find something that they can contribute to that is bigger than themselves. And it's often people, I think it might have been Nelson Mandela who said, like, life is in three buckets, struggle, success, significance. And we tend to work with people who are in that significant bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, most of them want to, they say give back. The for-purpose or the non-profit sector prefers the word um, contribute. It just is a little less jarring. I have to say, and I say to them also, you know, the for-purpose sector, Australian charities, we don't hold the monopoly on purpose. So, you know, being a wonderful grandparent might be your purpose. But um, for many of those who actually want to do something that contributes to the sector... The other thing I also say too is I don't think people retire anymore. I think the older we get, the more selective we become about how we use our time. And I get to work again with people who are, who are choosing very carefully about what they do. A lot of people can often say what they're good at in terms of skills and experience, but not often what they really care about. Mm. And, and sometimes it's because they haven't really thought about it or that, you know, they might read books or go to events to try and help them find their purpose. But actually, my belief is that it's within you. And it's within you and your past. So I often ask people just to close their eyes for a minute and imagine being seven years old and start to think about the things in your life when you were seven. You know, where did you go to school? Who did you live with? What did you do? What was your environment like, your physical environment? And then work through in increments of seven. So 14. And there are reasons why we choose seven, 14 and 21. They are critical kind of neurological moments in your life. But what happened at 14? And you start to see things in your life that made you angry or a teacher that you loved. Uh, And then 21, maybe something sad has happened. Maybe someone has become ill. There are things that you'll have happened or you experienced in your life. We talk about fortune and misfortune. So good things and bad things will happen. And I would encourage people to reflect on those. Jot things down as you're reflecting. And it might surprise you, you know, what you find on the page. Yeah, well, I have had the the fortunate moment to do that with you at one stage and we had to pick a partner and the partner that I was with that day was around 24. So the amount of sevens he had <laughs> to my 66 years, wow, the poor guy. There was, it was quite funny and, and it was a really wonderful exercise to do. At, Look, we we ask people to start with purpose because the sector, we have a saying at People for Purpose, we don't care what you know until we know you care. We have to start with that. You have to genuinely care about what it is, whether it's sick dogs, whether it's our natural environment, whether it's, you know, a particular medical issue. We have to start with with the purpose, the Mm. why. And then I look at skills and experience and superpowers, as I call them. So then, you know, what are you really great at? Um, and again, some people may have had a career, a long career as a particular thing, as a lawyer or as a pharmacist. But when they think about what their superpowers are, it might be inspiring or coaching. It might be listening. It might be working with people to pull them together as teams. So it doesn't have to be defined by what you did or have done as a job. 
sometimes that change is just like taking a holiday. Yeah. It's, it's a really good thing to do. It is. And like I said, you know, if you can start with purpose, a lot of people will say to me, and, you know, I keep saying me, but, you know, the team at People for Purpose, but a lot of people will say, you know, I've had a very long career in finance and I'd like to use my financial skills to help some charities. Well, no, we're not interested in your finance skills just yet. And, you know, when I do this, it's fascinating how it can take some time, but I do what you do. I, you know, I extract the essence of a great story. Mm. You know, you might come across somebody who, I don't know, whose best friend died from suicide and they now feel responsible for the children that have been left behind. We start there. We start in children, resilience, grief, death and dying. Then we add the superpowers. And what happens if we find them a skilled volunteering role or if we find them a non-executive role, they end up on a, on a children's charity board? I guarantee because we've started with purpose, they will feel so fulfilled that what they're doing is making the world a better place and adding value. What types of roles are there out there? You mentioned volunteering. You mentioned boards. What else is available? Yeah, look, there's lots. And again, I think um, this is a case of not knowing what you don't know for a lot of people. There is unskilled volunteering, which a lot of people are familiar with. You know, it might be packing boxes or painting houses. There is skilled volunteering, which I'm a huge fan of because you get to use your superpowers and your purpose to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I have a, a favourite website called Volley. V-O-L-L-I-E. And Volley is um, online volunteering opportunities. So you mm. might log on, you say, I really care about animal welfare, I'm really good at marketing, and I'm going to review someone's marketing strategy and have it done in two weeks. Easy. It's done. You might have made some new friends in the charity. Um, you've used your skills. You're feeling great. So there's skilled volunteering. And there's other skilled volunteering platforms. I think Seek have one, and I know Pro Bono Australia have one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, too, there's paid work, yeah. and that can be full-time and part-time, but there is an enormous amount of value to be added at board level, and we do a lot of non-executive placements where an individual can sit on the governing board of the organisation mm. and add value there. But even off those boards, they have advisory groups and committees. Yeah. So there's tons of opportunities. And that's the thing, again, you said, you know, you don't know. There's, there's just so much out there, and I think what you're helping people to understand today is the never-ending possibilities. Never-ending, and they're there today. You know, like my advice always is to begin, begin. Like put 20 minutes in your diary tomorrow, do a little bit of online research. I bet by the end of the week you're doing something awesome. Yeah, and look, for me in my life, I sort of fell into this whole podcasting and my storytelling event, and I guess I fit into the the category of storytelling, but I'm more extracting the stories, which I really, really love. It's made me, it's my education and it's very fulfilling. Yeah, it is. I, I, I do similar work. You know, I listen to fantastic stories all day long and ordinary people think they don't have the stories. Ordinary people have the most amazing stories. Actually, the ordinary people have the best stories and I can vouch for that. They really do have the best stories. Mm. They don't believe in themselves that, that their stories are worthy. That's it. And, you know, it could be a very small what that person considers to be insignificant moment in their life, but that can just be the grain of something amazing, you know, when they plug it into an organisation working in the space. The other thing that surprises people um, is, you know, how many charities we have in Australia. Oh, that was going to be my next question. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> I can't see your papers from here. No, you can't. But I was just thinking, how many charities do we have? But before we go there, In My Life, that's the song you chose today. Why was that? Again, another very special person in my life. You know, I grew up in a very musical family. My mum and dad were friends of, you know, rock and roll stars of the 60s and 70s. My era. Yes, your era. So I grew up listening to, you know, Buddy Holly and the Beatles and Elvis. That was my musical education. I was, I played instruments as a child. I played the violin and the piano. Um, my mum wanted to be a country music singer and so did I. So we've always had a very musical household. But I went away and, in fact, it was around about the same time. I took some time out to spend with a really close girlfriend and um, we were just swapping music stories and she played that song for me and I could not believe there was a Beatles song I had never heard of. And it really resonated because it's kind of the story of, you know, there are people and places in your life and some of them stand out as really being special and uh, it just, it was, yeah, it reminded me of that. It's a great song. This is the Beatles in my life. Welcome back to the studio, Rachel McLennan, the co-founder and CEO of People for Purpose, is the guest today, and we're learning all about not-for-profits and people finding their purpose after they've left the workforce or perhaps even while they are in the workforce and giving more time somewhere else. So, Rachel, how many charities are there? Mm. It's it's a really good question and it's one that surprises everyone. In fact, I often ask people to guess and uh, the guesses are usually relatively inaccurate. Can I guess? Go on. 5,000 in Australia. So there are actually 600,000 charities in Australia. Holy macaroni. Yeah, so 600,000 registered charities. Now that is the definition of the structure that they are and that's like, you know, a community radio station the ones that we work with and the ones that I'm talking about and the ones people think of when you say charity, there are 57,000 of those. And the difference between the two is that the larger group is made up of, you know, community sporting clubs or church groups. Or The, the difference from a structural perspective is that the 57,000, the Vision Australias and the Mission Australias and those kinds of things, they have what's called DGR status deductible gift recipient status. So mm-hmm. if you make a donation to them, you get a tax deduction, unlike the local sporting club. But that, still, 57,000 is a big number to choose from. Wow, it's enormous. So that, what you were saying, the difference between a charity and a not-for-profit? Well, so charity is the legal entity that they all are. Mm-hmm. Not-for-profit is actually a legal term because the organisations cannot distribute profit to shareholders. Um, so effectively, they all are charities. Mm-hmm. We tend to refer to them as for-purpose organisations because we've and, and the sector. You'll find there are many in the sector now who do call it for-purpose. Not for profit is a legal term, and it's rather negative. Mm-hmm. For-purpose is a bit more positive. But yeah, fifty-seven thousand. It's a lot. And we joke that you know when I come back to the purpose piece. You know, if you lost your left finger in a tractor accident, there's probably an organisation who support people who have had the same experience, which is why that connectivity and purpose is really important. Mm. And and many will argue that it's too many. You know, many say, well, why aren't they connected and amalgamated and things like that? It's a complicated space. Australia is such a big country. We have many organisations who are delivering local solutions to local problems, but lots of choice for the people listening, lots of choice. Um. Your actual business itself, is it Australia-wide that you have people 
working uh, and I mean not the people come to you for finding them a purpose but your own actual business itself yeah so we have people in Sydney and Melbourne it's mostly where we work um, but we have worked in every state and territory in the country in terms of helping charities find great people and you know we're currently doing some work in the Pilbara mm. so yes we work we work nationally your staff who work for people for purpose when someone like me comes in yep. and I say hey I'm, you know, I've got some great skills. I'd, I'd like to work for a, a not-for-profit a charity. Um, I can do X, Y, Z. How can I join? So we, you can register on our website so individuals can sign up and be part of our community. We tend to focus on supporting people into executive roles and non-executive roles. So if people are looking for volunteering and skilled volunteering, we're probably not the best place to go. But you can register on our website and you can also chat to one of our consultants. And that consultant is probably going to ask you a couple of things. Back to the purpose piece. So what is it that you care about? You know, what social or environmental problem keeps you awake at night? What are your superpowers? What are you great at? How much time do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, sitting on a non-profit board could be anything from a full-time job to a day a month. So being aware of how much time you have if that's the road you want to go down. Yeah, so you can you can also register for a 20-minute phone chat with one of our consultants um, and they are probably going to ask you a couple of things. Back to the purpose piece, they are going to want to know what it is that you care about and sometimes that can take a little bit of time. We also would love to know what your superpowers are and we also want you to think about how much time you have to give because being on a non-profit board could be anything from a full-time job to, you know, a day, a month. So it's important to think about that. And then, you know, it might be that the opportunity that you were thinking about, if you were thinking about a board role, actually when we've analysed all of that, it might be better that you take a skilled volunteering role because you have no experience. Mm. So we will just guide you through where we think might be a good place for you to start. So your consultants, are they highly trained? Are they or do you train them up? Are they psychologists? Do they have what sort of skills do they have to drag out of you? What's what are your superpowers, etc.? Look, I I think we have the best team. We do. We have people who truly, truly care about the sector and making it better. We have a real mix. So we won't hire people unless they genuinely care about making an impact themselves. We hire people who really understand the nuances of the for-purpose or not-for-profit sector really understand leadership and governance. But, yeah, we do have coaches and psychologists in our business too. There's elements of that that we teach each other to enable us to engage with people. So you at People for Purpose are really a business like any other business out there. And, wow, you do an amazing job. Thank you. (laughs) Look, as I said, you know, what we're trying to do is ensure that greater social and environmental impact is delivered because Australian charities have the best and the brightest working within them. It's a privilege. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And I'm going to say it's probably what gets you up in the morning beside your family. It gets all of us up in the morning. Absolutely. I know we do. We talk about it. It's, we often joke that, you know, it's, it's, we, t- we have way too much fun at work. But like I said to you, I'm either listening to the story of an individual who wants to contribute or the story of an organisation who are doing great things in solving some of these complex problems. It's pretty cool. Your third song for the day is, I love this, The Best Things in Life Are... Free. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Yeah. Why did you choose this song? 
Uh, look, this, you know, if ever they have, um, when they have the closing ceremony of Rachel McLennan, I'd like to think that this song would be played. Um, it was it was a song I had playing in my room when I was a child over and over. It's just a really fun song. But as I've gotten older, you know, I still listen to it a lot and the message in it about the best things in life being free, it's what I do, you know. We plug into charities. We don't necessarily want remuneration for the work that we do. Um but it's awesome. We get so much from it, and that's why I love this song. My guest today in the studio is Rachel McLennan. She is the co-founder and CEO of People for Purpose. Hey, Rachel, I've got a curly one for you. Go for it. So I have three friends. One's a vet, one's a psychologist, and one's a lawyer, and they're struggling right now. They're both in their – all three of them are in their early 60s, and I get it when you're a vet, it's hard to walk away from your, your veterinary practice. And a psychologist, you're thinking about your, your your clients and how do you leave and what am I going to do next? And a lawyer, they're, they're all really professional people. What can you do for them? Uh, they can do a lot. And it's interesting because a lot of people do underestimate the value that they have to bring. Um, but there is enormous value. There really is. It's diversity of perspective that's going to change the world, and we need these diverse perspectives. So, okay, the first two I can answer. The third one, or the actually, let's. I'm going to think about one of them and talk about two of them and do it all at the same time. We have just worked with a school council who were looking for new council members, and it feels it feels like or looks like a very traditional single sex school, but because they're trying to create humans for the modern world. They were actually looking for somebody who understood psychology or wellness or mental health. It's not something this organisation has ever been down the road of before. But what a great opportunity for us to plug into a completely different network of people mm. and connect them. And if you want to get really kind of, you know, cute and fluffy about it. But effectively, I'm connecting these great psychologists to the, you know, some of the future outcomes of our kids. You know, mm. these are the future of Australian people. Um, and they get to have an impact on how they're now educated. That's pretty cool. This is woo-woo moment for me. <laughs> I was speaking to my partner this morning because I was a teacher. My first career out of teacher's college was as a teacher. And I said to him this morning, you know, to be an effective teacher these days, you almost have to be a psychologist. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we're going to digress for a second, but let me tell you a story about teaching because we've just done a lot of work in the education system. Obviously, COVID has meant that the teaching sector has been severely decimated. There's an organisation we've been working with called Teach for Australia, and they take people like you and me out of the commercial world or the worlds that we live in. They give us six weeks of training, plug us into a school, train us along the way, and it's a two-year contract. And it is the most brilliant charitable structure ever like it's such a great idea it exists around the world but it's backfilling a lot of those vacancies in the teaching profession wow yeah it's real this is it there's so many cool organizations doing so many cool things um in terms of your lawyer I, i'm sure he wouldn't mind me telling you this story but i'll tell you the story of steve clifford so steve was a lawyer maybe 20 or 30 years and wanted to do something different and meaningful and went about drinking he describes it as drinking leaders of coffee with those who have gone before him, those corporate refugees who have made the shift. Um, he ended up being the CEO of Second Bite, so food waste. Mm -hmm. So working with some of the big supermarket chains, he cared about that. 
he could use his skills and he just found so much joy in the work that he was doing. And in fact, he's written a book called From Profit to Purpose that helps people navigate that path a little bit like we do. Amazing. Yeah. The vet. Okay, actually, you know what? I have got a vet story for you. Uh, We worked with an organisation, a disability service provider. So supporting 6,000 participants and their families, you know, who have a disabled person in their life. And they were looking for, again, board members, non-executive directors. And it's interesting because when they said to us, we want diversity of thought, they thought about someone from a more traditional, they said medical, someone with a high clinical governance exposure, you know, someone a little bit younger to bring our age down. There were lots of things that they were looking for. I never in a million years expected that a vet would apply for the role. Um, we were looking at people out of, you know, clinical practice, more mm-hmm. with humans. Um, anyway, she actually has a child or two children with disability. So she could bring the purpose, bring the perspective, bring the lived experience, but also bring all of that from her life as a vet. And it's so, so, so valuable. Wow. And you found a, a role. Yeah. Which, which we is, connected them. Yeah. That's but, amazing. Because when I said vet, I was thinking they work with dogs and cats and <laughs> I was thinking horses and, you know, because vets are large animals, small animals. What skills do they have to take into a, a business? That's it. But their operating environment is very similar. You know, it has to be customer centric. We have to care about the cat, the dog or the horse. We have to use our clinical profession. We have to be able to manage people in business. It's the same thing. Well, we have to think outside the square, don't we, really? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the questions we get asked a lot, Karen, is this transferability of skill. Mm. You know, I've done X. It doesn't feel like I could transfer that. Well, absolutely you can. You know, we've all done things, like I've just said, teams and people and business and, you know, there's lots of things you can unpack from your life, even if it looks like it's got a corporate finance label or it looks like it's got a a vet label, there's lots of things you can unpack and use those to plug in and the sector's waiting. Um, I'm going to want to come back to the psychologist. So sure. The psychologist and teaching, what happened in, you've got lots of psychologists going into schools. Yes. That- yeah, absolutely. Yes. Look, this particular school um, are doing, there are three things that they're really keen on. And one of those is the mental health, obviously education and co-curricular, but a key strategic pillar for them, like a lot of schools at the moment, is the mental well-being of their students. And I love that they elevated that all the way to governance level. It now sits on the board representing to trickle through the whole school. Yeah, I think mental health in schools, especially in high school, uh, it's a really important time to be able to work with children to, to make healthy adults. It's... And when I went to school, it was just ignored. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, an interesting observation I would make sitting on the other side with lots and lots of charities who are trying to plug into the school system to support students because it's not part of the curriculum, but that's a whole nother sidebar. And, and, and again, when I talked about how there are lots of charities and sometimes people say, well, that's too many, you know, it's, it was inspiring to see recently a group come together called Together for Youth. So 13 mental health charities that work with young people in the school system. So instead of them all trying to talk to the education systems, the schools can go to them and say, we've got kids who are, you know, 7 to 14. We want specialised support for them in the world of resilience. Who's up for it? And so the 13 charities can decide amongst themselves or we can decide which one is the best supplier 
rather than too many conversations between too many charities going to the schools. It's a really clever model. Mm. Just a while ago, you were talking about the skills that people were learning, say the vet, and going in and learning new skills somewhere else. That's what I call, and a lot of people call, lifelong education. And it's such a joy when you learn a new skill. Like I've had to learn the, the whole radio side of things. I've had to learn how to run a live event because I wasn't an event manager. I mean, I went from teaching years and years ago where you were sort of an in-class event manager. But, you know, <laughs> you're pulling together a lot of other things. And I'm really proud of the new skills that I've learned. So these people, you know, it's so beneficial to them um, the gift that they're receiving is new skills. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's also lots of ways that you can support that lifelong learning and desire to plug into the for-purpose sector, you know, with micro-credentials. You know, one of the questions, again, we get asked a lot is, do I need a qualification? You know, do I need to be certified with the Institute of Company Directors? Well, that's a week in your li- a week of your life and quite a lot of money. Mm. But you can just do a day with them on how to be a non-profit leader. You know, there's lots of little things now in the sector that support you to learn about charity land Mm. um, that could be really valuable. And you can do it really quickly and easily. You're just giving everyone so much knowledge about this, and I'm sure it will inspire loads of people. Is there someone or something that inspires you? Um, Look, I think like a lot of people, I suspect there are many people who have inspired me, many, many. Um, but I could, I can pull out a few. Look, my my parents um, were very inspirational and remain very inspirational. When I was born, my parents were both of service. When I was born, my father was a police officer, so serving the community. Um, he was the president of our local water ski club, serving the community, and I just watched him tirelessly volunteer in that capacity. Uh, my mum has been an aged care worker for a lot of her life. Um, and she also volunteers with the Bush Fire Brigade because she lives in the bush. Look, I, I knew my mum had had a pretty rough upbringing, but it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I really learned more about her story. I was actually living and working in the UK in a big cons- consulting firm. You know, it looked like a good job, but I just felt a little bit hollow. And I came back to Australia one Christmas and um, was sitting in the backyard with mum and she opened up a little bit more about her life, she had um, been given to the Department of Children's Services when she was about 16 months old Mm. and her sister was only three months old. They were born very close together. The Department of Children's Services in those days didn't want them because nobody was forking out the 42 shillings a week that was required for their maintenance. So mum and her sister were given to the Salvation Army Mm -hmm. and they spent 18 years there. And in that moment I realised... All the things that I had accidentally taken for granted, you know, family holidays and friends and someone to read a book to me at night and school and there were so many things. I just thought, you know what, I really want to repay the universe for my mum turning out such an awesome human. And Mm. the universe was on my side because I went back to England and got made redundant from that job. But a mentor of mine at the time had said to me, um, I know you want to work in the nonprofit space. I found a charity that you'd love. They'll love you. And that was it. That was the beginning. I worked for a children's charity in the UK fundraising. Um, so, you know, my parents have both been big ins- inspirations to me. Definitely my husband, uh, because he's inspired me to keep 
you know, running this business. And like I said before, you know, Melissa and I both wanted to leave the world a better place. Mm. And that was for our kids. Yeah. You look at environmental change, you look at all the things you've talked about, mental health. You know, if I can do something to mean that the world's going to be an easier place for them, then they're inspiring me too. Thanks for sharing that. It's um, wonderful that your mum has raised wonderful children because sometimes people in your mother's situation can just become a victim and your mother obviously hasn't become a victim and wanted to give to her children probably all the things that she didn't have. Yeah, it's a really interesting point because what I didn't mention and what you don't know, Karen, is that my mum, well, my mum's sister isn't, wasn't, you know, she ended up domestic violence, drug and alcohol, a women's refuge. And so I do think about her too. And it's the song, you know, there was a turning point, there was a fork in the road and my mum just had the conditions around her to go in one direction and my aunt had the conditions around her to go in another. And, you know, the world can be a really unfair place, mm. but there's a lot of activity going on out there that's making the world a better place and that's what this is. And I have an example of that too that I won't share, but just to say that this person I know has raised the most awesome family. He just, well, he just said that I'm going to give my children everything that I haven't had. He's been an awesome role model. He's worked in schools. He's done amazing things. And he's an, an amazing human being through and through. And it just comes from someone that was in a disadvantaged situation that you can do it. And yeah. You know, you can do it. That's it. I, I look at both of my parents. You know, my mum and my dad only went to grade nine, both of them. I don't know why they sent me to such a good school. I don't know why they invested in my tertiary education. You know, I mean, I do. You've just said it, right? You yeah. want better. Yeah. But lucky me. Yeah, absolutely lucky you. And you're an awesome human being. <laughs> you are so Work in awesome. progress. <laughs> no, look, we are all a work in progress, I'd like to remind you. Mm. Until we get to the end, we're still a work in progress. Look, like, you know what, you know, it, again, it sounds cute, but what gives me joy is the people who have come into my radar and have gone on to do amazing things, or I get to see them do amazing things. You know, I get to see organisations grow and change and do cool stuff. Like, that's, that's that what drives me. There's lots of people too, I have to say, who have inspired and motivated me either as a, as a you know, I've mentioned it before, they know they're a coach and a mentor, but there are lots of people who don't know either. And, um, you know, I'm grateful to all of them. I'm going to mention another one of those um, who are sort of, how did this happen moments. The day that I met you, I had come back from a long walk in the Warren Bungles and I was told about the new CEO for Cantu when I was in the Warren Bungles. And I met you a week later and you asked, did we know of a charity or a not-for-profit that was really awesome. And I said, can too. And you said... We've, We've just placed the CEO. I went, wow, because I was there when the 13 of us that were sitting around a campfire was told he'd been appointed and it had been announced. I forgot about that story, and I'm glad you reminded me. And that's a really cool example of someone using their purpose and their superpowers to change the world, like absolutely, and came from Pfizer, you know, came out of the pharmaceutical industry, came out of more traditional corporate leadership and governance and he's now helping to you know raise money to cure cancer yeah brilliant I, well I just shook my head that morning I met you and there was that connection yeah. and it was like oh wow the universe it is 
This is my last question, Rachel. Mm. I don't know what it is. I'm excited and nervous. Do you have a favourite charity? Oh, I get asked that a lot. It's like I watched that Nick Cage movie recently where they asked him if he had a favourite movie. It's the same thing. Look, I chose to do what I do because I don't have to choose one. I get to work with all of them. There, are, some, there are too many good ones. Um, but I do have a favourite. Um, I spent a couple of years on the board of an organisation called the National Centre for Childhood Grief. So as you've just heard, you know, children in shitty situations is what tugs at me, is the purpose piece for me, because that's what my mum was and that's what my children aren't. They live pretty good lives. So if I could find a way to help kids in situations that were pretty nasty, that was a through no fault of their own, then that's what I would do. So I spent a couple of years on the board of the National Centre for Childhood Grief and they provide counselling to children whose parents have died. And the reason I love it is because grief and death and dying affects all of us and my observation is that we're not very good at dealing with it. Mm. It comes back to what I said about getting. I received from that role so much about death, grief and dying that is so valuable in my life. I thought I was actually there to give but it was very much reciprocated, so mm. I would say them. Now, before we go, we have three takeaways for today. Three takeaways. Yes, absolutely. I think um, be clear on purpose. That's always what I say to people in the beginning. Like I said, you know, know what it is that you care about. If you are only going to do one thing for the rest of your life, it has to mean something. So work out what that is and look back over your life to find it. Um, be clear on your superpowers, you know, know what you're really good at and what you love to do. And we can all do that. And sometimes outsource that. Don't try and come up with it yourself. Ask a relative or a neighbor or a colleague. They will tell you what your superpowers are. Sometimes it's hard for us to do ourselves. Um, and begin, honestly, just start today. Like I said, start Googling your favorite charities or start Googling how you get onto a, a volunteer role. Like start today because the sector is waiting for you and we all have so much to give and impact to create. Just do it. Well, Rachel McLennan, thank you so much for your time today. You are an awesome human being. I have loved every second of this conversation today. I have learnt so much. It's just amazing that every day you listen to someone's story and you take time to listen to a story, how much you actually gain and I've grown as a person today. And I absolutely love that. So thank you, everybody who's listening out there. If you really are looking at working for a charity, a not-for-profit, People for Purpose is always out there. And, Rachel, how do they find you? Uh, well, that's it. It's peopleforpurpose.com.au. So easy peasy. Easy peasy. Thank you so much. It's been a treasure. It's been a real delight and I've loved listening to your story too, Karen, so thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Ageing Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life. 
Let's go and climb mountains high. Swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to waste. Gotta go get the most out of time. This treasure that you've got to find, baby, don't be shy. Let's go and take that ride. Taste the sweet and the spice, everything nice. Let your heart be alive, baby, just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive. 